Amen. Thank you, Pastor Parker. Thank you for all the good music this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John, chapter number 6. The book of John, chapter number 6. We're continuing our series of message on humility and gratitude, uh, living a life of worship, living a life of worship. And as I mentioned to you a few moments ago, um, uh, our missionary was supposed to be here. And so um, today I I just want to kind of share some very simplistic thoughts with you. Uh, that uh, God has uh, laid upon my heart uh, for continuing this uh, series of messages there in John chapter number 6. When, we, when you turn there, this is not an a unfamiliar passage of Scripture. matter of fact, this is probably one of the most familiar passages of Scripture because probably from the very time that you could walk and talk, um, if you were in Sunday school or you were in children's church or whatever, you've heard the story of the, uh, of the loaves and the fishes. And uh, you could probably, every single one of you probably under my voice this morning could probably tell me the story. And, uh, but this morning, I just want to take it to a different level uh, and uh, look inside of it for some new truths. And today, if I had a title of my sermon, it would be this. It would be Considering Christ's Priorities. Considering His Priorities. When, when we think about this story, oftentimes what we focus on is the lad. And, and certainly the lad is a, a huge and significant part of this story or, or, or this account. But today I want us to kind of look at Jesus' response to the whole thing and, and the disciples' response to the need that was at hand. From the very first recorded miracle Jesus performed... He manifested His glory. If you remember, when He turned the water into wine, John chapter number 2, the Bible says this, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cain of Galilee, and manifested forth His glory, and His disciples believed on Him. When we talk about the miracles of Jesus, and we talk about the, the things that Jesus Christ did as He was on this earth, the reason that He did them was to manifest His glory. In other words, it was so that people would understand who Jesus Jesus was, and not only understand who he was, but believe in him or on him. You see, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came to this earth to to show people that he is who he says he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And not only to show forth that, but then after living 33 and a half years to go to the cross and to manifest his glory in the most awesome way through the death of burial and the resurrection. So from the very beginning of his ministry, he manifested for his glory. Christ did not perform miracles to impress the crowd. His goal was that people would see his miracles and believe that he was the son of God, the savior of the world. And by the way, that's why we have church. That's why we go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. It's not so somebody can hear a pastor. It's not so somebody can hear some amazing music. It's not so that we can get up and perform. Amen, preacher. That's good right there. I appreciate that. It's so that people will believe that He is the Son of God. And that He is the Savior of the world. Because that is our goal. That is everything that is within us. Everything that's within our being is so that we can take people and point them to Jesus Christ. Today we're going to explore a miracle from the early ministry of Christ. This miracle is one that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. If you have your Bibles, if you're saying with me, John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6, and for context purposes, we're going to read the first 15 verses. John chapter number 6, starting in verse number 
1. John chapter 6, verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus uh, went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And a Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto uh, Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And, he, and this he said to what? Prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, and every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here. He has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, when they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remain over and above unto them that had eaten, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, the prophet, that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Father, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. Lord, may it be used today to stir our hearts, Lord, as we consider your priorities and how that they should be the same priorities that are in our lives. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to notice in your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible, I want you to notice something in this passage of scripture, chapter number six. Jesus only made three statements in our passage. The first thing he said was to Philip, When shall we buy bread that they may eat? In other words, how are we going to fill this crowd? They come and they look hungry. Jesus said unto them, verse number 10, Make the men sit down. And then in verse number 12, he said, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Something that I'm... Uh, admiring and learning more about our Lord Jesus Christ is this, is that Jesus Christ was a man that didn't have a lot of words, but the words that he had were poignant. The words that he had were, were powerful. They were words that men paid attention to. And our passage of Scripture today, I want us to look at literally just those three statements to figure out Christ's priority in a situation that was overwhelming. In our text today, we see that Jesus took five loaves of bread and a couple of fish to feed as many as fifteen to 20,000 people. You say, Pastor, that said 5,000. That was just the men. You got to understand that the men probably most of them had wives. And if they didn't have a wife, there were other people that had wives with children. So you understand that this, this miracle of five uh, loaves of bread and two fishes 
fed possibly 15 to 20,000 people. Now, I don't know about you, but that's stretching it a long way. Right? You know what that goes to show me? This is what it goes to show me. Little is much when God is in it. It goes to show me that no matter, no matter how insignificant I think I am, no matter how much I believe that God can't use me just the way I am, I'm wrong. Because God can take something that seems very insignificant, that seems that it's not even possible to use, and turn it in to a great miracle as he did on this day. Yet the tragedy of these early days of Jesus' ministry was that many people never saw past the miracles to believe on Jesus Christ. Just as today we live in a world where people listen and they hear and they come and they observe and they see and they say, yeah, Jesus is in fact a great man, but they never look past his miracles to believe on who he really is. You see, they were attracted to the miracles, the crowds and the excitement, but they never accepted Christ's offer of salvation. You understand this morning that it takes more than a knowledge of who Jesus is to obtain salvation. It takes an actual act. It takes you believing and taking that head knowledge and, 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 and putting it down into your heart and really understanding and accepting who Jesus is, not just the mere knowledge of what he's done. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 occurred just before the Passover. It was springtime, and the grass would have been green on the mountain where the people gathered in the city of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, a freshwater sea nine miles wide and 14 miles long, would have been a beautiful place to gather. This site was the place where Jesus would go and he would rest. You understand, Jesus was going away to rest. He was trying to get away from the crowds. He was trying to go with his disciples. But when he looked up, a great crowd followed him. Now I want you to know something about this story this morning because I want you to put yourself there. I want you to think about working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and coming home and it's finally maybe, maybe you're not working this weekend and finally you're able to be at home and you're able to enjoy your family and maybe you're, excuse me, you're able to rest a little bit and then all of a sudden the door, somebody rings the doorbell and then you go peek to see who it is. And if it's not who you want it to be, you turn around and go, shh. <laughs> I just told somebody's story. Um, and we look out and we think, you don't understand. You're thinking to yourself, you don't understand the week that I've had, the problems that I've overcome and, and endured, and I just want to rest. Well, that's what Jesus was trying to do. And Jesus looked up and saw the crowd. And this was Jesus' response. It wasn't, hey disciples, go tell them to go away. Go tell them that I need some rest. No, his response was this. How are we going to feed them because they're coming? How are we going to take care of them? And I love how the Bible outlines this for us. He asked, how how are we going to feed them? How, How much money do we have to buy bread? And he did not do that for the sake of Philip, or excuse me, for the sake of himself. He did that for the sake of Philip. He did that to to prove that he was, in fact, the son of God. He didn't turn the crowd away. He brought the crowd to himself. 
It would have been easy for the disciples to tell them to go away and come back at another time. But one of the things about Jesus is that he truly cares about people. And rather than turning them away, he meets their needs. Number one, if, you have, if you're in the habit of taking notes on the back of your bullets and there's an outline, the passion of Christ. The passion of Christ. Where is Christ's passion? Where is, what is the driving force of who he is? And literally, what should our driving force be as we take on the passion of Christ? We tend to see people for what they can do for us in terms of how they might inconvenience us. But Jesus saw people through the eyes of compassion and made meeting their needs his passion. Listen, people have great needs. Are you listening to me? People have great needs. And you realize that God can in fact put people in our past to help us meet those needs. And we have a choice to turn them away or to do exactly what Jesus did and see them through the eyes of compassion. First of all, his passion is to care for the people. He cares for the people. Jesus Christ had a great desire to care for those who had come to him. Although he was tired and weary from many days of ministry, he cared for these people. You understand that this was not just a couple of people. This was 5,000 just men. 5,000 just men. Can you imagine the crowd that was coming? I can, I, you know me, I'm a very visual person. Can you imagine Jesus sitting and resting and his disciples beside him and they're recounting the stories that had taken place and then all of a sudden Jesus looks up and he looks to the disciples and he says, look, it's 20,000 people. They're coming. And what are we going to do with them? I mean, here he is, tired and weary. But he doesn't say, let's turn them away. He says, how can we help them? How can we help them? Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And look what it says. And he began to teach them many things. It's easy for us to struggle with selfishness. The truth is, is that we are all busy. And it can be challenging for us to be flexible. But when we take Jesus as an example, He always had time for the multitudes that came to Him. The other day I was at the convenience store. And I was standing in line. And uh, I caution telling this story, but for the sake of... Of application, I'm going to tell it. I was sitting in line and there was several men in front of me. And I had in my hand a milk and a Pepsi. What more could you want? <laughs> Something for my kids to go to sleep? Something for me, alright? A milk and a Pepsi. And this guy standing in front of me. And you could tell that uh, he had been drinking for quite some time. And uh, he turned around, and I, I was wearing what I normally wear, collar shirt, jeans, and the shirt said North Point Baptist Church on it. The man turned and looked at me, and he said this. He said, you look like a businessman. So I thought, well, he brought it up. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. And he said, really? He said, what business are you in? I said, I'm a pastor. Pastor. 
I love to watch people's faces when I tell them that. And he looked at me and he said, oh, pastor, pastor. And he, then he started apologizing. I'm, I'm sorry for the way I'm acting right now. I, I apologize. Could, could we talk sometime? I said, sure. Set my Pepsi and my milk on the counter. I said, let's talk. He goes, well, maybe not right now. His friend turned around and looked at me, and this is what his friend said to me. His friend was, was, uh, had not been drinking. And his friend looked at me, and I'll never forget this. You see the, the hurt in the guy's eyes. He said, sir? I said, yes. He said, I don't know you. He said, but if you could please just try to get through to him. He said, we've been trying to do it for years. There was a little table. I said, will you come sit down with me for a minute? He said, sure. He sat down next to me, and I said, you know what? I said, I know something about you. He said, you know nothing about me. I said, I do know something about you. He said, what? I said, you're hurting. I said, you wouldn't do what you're doing unless you're hurting. I said, you're not going to remember our conversation tomorrow morning. I said, but this is what I want you to remember. And I took my card out, and I wrote a note on the back of it. And I ran to my car, and I got a track, and I stuck it inside of it. And I stuck it in the guy's front pocket. And I said what I said. I said, when you wake up in the morning, I said, you're going to do something like this. And when you pull it out, you're going to remember, and I want you to call me. The man that was standing at the counter turned around, and he looked at me, and he said, sir, can I tell you something? before you leave? And I said, sure. He said, no man has ever spoken to him with love and compassion. And he said, thank you. And I looked at that man and I said, let me tell you something, young man. I said, you keep caring for him. I said, but the next time he asks you to drag him somewhere, you drag him to church. And he looked at me and he said, yes, sir. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter where you're walking in. And I'm not saying that. It has nothing to do with me. You, you have no idea the people that are around you that are hurting. They're hurting. You know how long that took out of my time? About five minutes. Did I lose anything? No, I didn't. Did, I, did, did, did anything impactful happen in my life and in my life? No, it didn't. But for all I know, On Saturday morning, that man woke up and he took that track and he looked at it and he began to read it. And his life could have changed forever. You see, it's easy for us to struggle with selfishness. It's easy for us to push through the line. It's easy for us not to look around us and and see the needs of other people. But we have to take Jesus as an example that even, even in the weariness of times, he stopped to have compassion on the people. You see, it's part of the character of Christ to care for people. We can always count on the love of Christ in our lives. May this same characteristic be evident in our lives so that we would love others and reach out to others the way that Christ would. Let her be. Not only his passion was for people, his passion was to train his disciples. It was to train his disciples. Jesus knew that his earthly ministry would only last about three and a half years. He recognized that it was vital for him to equip his disciples so that they could further the ministry. And by the way, that's the same in our lives. We should always be uh, uh, striving to equip people that are around us. First of all, he trained them by example. 
He trained them by example. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 6, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Verse 32, And they departed into a desert place by a ship privately. You see, Jesus taught by example. He showed them how they should live and how they should minister. Jesus was the perfect example to his disciples as he is to us today. And everything that we say and everything that we think and everything that we do, we should be thinking about the example that Christ set for us to determine whether our actions are pleasing to him. He not only taught by example, but he taught by examination. He taught by examination. He took time to ask questions to help them discern how far their faith had come. You see, John chapter number 6, where we just read, uh, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company unto him, and he said to Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. The Lord will allow you at some point to go through testing or proving. Listen to me, it's going to happen. And the reason that he does it is not to show him where your faith is, for he already knows, but to show you where your faith is. When we go through testings and we go through trials in our lives, God wants us to see how strong, in fact, our faith is. He teaches by examination. Number two, the plan of Christ. The plan of Christ. You see, Jesus had a specific plan and that plan involved an amazing miracle. Now, you know me. I did this last week. I, I, I visualize things. So I want you to think about this for a moment. You all know the story. You know the story that, that, that uh, the crowd came and that somebody said, uh, you know, the, Philip said, we, we don't have enough money to go buy bread for everybody. And, and then they said, well, there's a lad that has five loaves and two fishes. Now, we don't know much about this lad, but this is what I can imagine happening because this is what would happen at my house on Saturdays. My mom, uh, this was back in the day when you could uh, say to your child, uh, just be home by the time it's dinner time. And my mom, literally, I would go all day long. We, had, uh, we lived on 10 acres. The closest neighbor to me was about three quarters of a mile away. So I had to get on my bike and I had to ride to my neighbor's house. Well, if they weren't home, then I had to go another about three quarters of a mile to another neighbor's house. And they weren't home. I went and bothered my grandparents. But when I left on Saturday morning, my mom would pack me a lunch because she knew that I wasn't coming back. And by the time nine o'clock rolled around, that lunch was probably gone. But I'd get on my bike and I'd head out. And I can imagine that it would happen similar to that with that lad. He said, Mom, I'm going to go out and see what everybody's doing today. And she said, great, here's some bread and here's some fish. Now listen, wherever you're at, no matter what you do, you, uh, you got to stop sometime and you got to eat. Yes, ma'am. All right, now you be home by dinner. Yes, ma'am. And off he went. And all of a sudden, I can see this lad showing up. And now there's 15,000, 20,000 people. And he's thinking, what's all the fuss about? i got to go find out. And so here he goes, following the crowd, headed to where Jesus was. Nowhere in his mind that day did he think, somebody's about to take my little lunch and give everybody something to eat. Right? So here he goes. Now I want you to think about this. Here he arrives... And, 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 and the disciples are roaming through the crowd trying to figure out how they're going to fix this. And one of them spots it. And maybe he said to the young man, excuse me, young man, what do you have in that bag? The young man says, I, I just have my lunch. It's just five loaves and two fishes. All right. Is it all right if I tell Jesus about that? Well, sure. 
Yeah. So he goes, well, all we've got is five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, bring me the lad's lunch. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about that disciple walking over, getting the lunch. And that little boy or girl saying, what are you going to do with my lunch? (laughs) And the disciple turning and saying, don't worry. Jesus has got it under control. And bringing it, and the Bible says that Jesus blessed it, and then he break it, and he began to tell the disciples to disperse it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm that little lad, and everybody's starting to eat, and finally it gets to me, and they give me some food, I'm talking to the people around me. Hey, that was my lunch. You're eating my lunch. You're eating my five loaves and two. I don't know how he got that much out of it, but you're eating my lunch. And here we are. Listen to me. I want you to see this. Here we are, some 2,000 years later, talking about this little lad that we don't even know his name. We don't know anything about him. But what we know is that what he had, he gave it to Jesus. Even though it wasn't much, he gave it to Jesus. Listen to me, church. If we could really gravitate to this concept... That listen, I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to give. But whatever I have to offer, whatever I have to give, I am going to completely give it to him. I want you to notice the little lad didn't say, hey, could you just give him four loaves and let me have one? Right? He didn't say, hey, could could you take the bread and let me have the fish? No, he gave Jesus everything. I'm telling you, if we as Christians could get the childlike faith and give it everything, give everything that we have that belongs to us to Jesus, I promise you this, He has a plan. He has a plan. He's already got the plan. What's amazing to me is before the lad ever even showed, uh, showed up there in the, in the crowd, Jesus knew What the plan was. It was an amazing miracle. First of all, it was a miraculous plan. It was a miraculous plan. As Jesus considered the needs of all the people, He chose to use human involvement to carry out His plan. Christ did not choose just anyone out of the people. He he could have used in the crowd. He chose a young lad with a small lunch, five barley loaves. And two fishes. Certainly, listen to me, certainly there was probably some folks that were rich there. Right? I'm certain that he could have went up to him and said, Hey, we got to feed the crowd. Could you possibly, everybody pitch in and go get us some bread? He could have done that. He could have done a lot of things. Matter of fact, he's Jesus. He could have said, There it is. A buffet for the crowd. He could have done that. He didn't know. Why? Because he was teaching his disciples a lesson. And now, some 2,000 years later, he's teaching us a lesson that if we'll just take what we have and give it to Jesus and entrust him with it, he will take care of everything else. After receiving the boy's lunch, Jesus revealed his divine power. He used the resources that he had been put into his hands 
to feed thousands of people. Anytime we put something small and insignificant into God's hands, He will produce something all-sufficient for His perfect purpose. He takes the small amount we have and He multiplies it. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I can stand here for the next two hours or longer and tell you about the all-sufficient God that we serve. Tell you about times that in my life, personally, in other people's lives that I've known, where, where, where it literally did not look like there was hope in sight. And God says, listen, I'll take the small and I'll make it great because I am all sufficient. All we have to do is trust in Him. It was a miraculous plan, but let her be, it was a masterful plan. This is very interesting to me, and, and I don't know, this is not something that I've ever really thought about before, but it's something that I think is important for us to understand. Everything that Jesus did was masterful in this plan. Our Lord is a God who sets things in order exactly how they need to be. Chapter 6 and verse number 10, Jesus said, make the men what? Sit down. Make them sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, and they sat down in number about 5,000. There's another account of the story in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 40. The Bible says, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, let all things be done what? Decently and in order. My God is a God of order. Are you with me? He's the God of order. If our life is in complete chaos, then God is not in that. God is a God of order. After setting everything in order, Jesus instructs the disciples to distribute the food. So he had them all sit down. He had them sit down exactly the way that he designed and planned it. And then he told them to distribute the food. Because God wanted to make sure, first of all, that everything was done in order. Secondly of all, he wanted to make sure everyone got what they needed. And so he distributed the food. Jesus' masterful plan also involved the disciples conserving the remaining of the food. I want you to notice Jesus didn't just say, throw it out. Jesus said, pick up the leftovers. Take everything that's left over and bring it back. You see, Christ not only provided enough food to satisfy the hungry crowd, but enough for the next day meal for his disciples. He did not forget those who were laboring in the work of the miracle. Listen, Jesus is concerned about every single portion. When you're faithful to Christ, you can count on him to be faithful, to provide for you. He is completely capable of meeting every need you have. Number three, and I'll be done. The priority of Jesus. The priority of Jesus. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and I want you to look back in John chapter number six. When we now come to the day after the feeding of the thousands, by this point, Jesus has already performed another miracle. He walked on water. And he's now gone back to the other side of Galilee, perhaps still trying to find rest. And the multitudes again came looking for Jesus. And I want you to notice what happens. Look at verse 25. The Bible says that when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when, when camest thou uh, hither? Or when did you get here? Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, 
but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you what? Believe on him in whom he hath sent. Here the crowd comes back, and their intentions are to get fed again, so to come back to the well and get more food. And Jesus said, listen, your intentions are wrong. You see, my priority is not to feed you physical food. My priority is to feed you spiritual food. Do you understand that when we talk about Jesus' priorities, Jesus' priorities were all about pointing people to Jesus Christ. And we see that in Christ's priority in verse number 29. This is the work of God that you believe on Him who has sent you. Listen to me, church. When we talk about church, when we talk about being the church, when we talk about uh, not just coming to church, but, but actually involving ourselves as a church, we're not talking about coming and feeding our own selves. We're not talking about coming and nourishing our own selves. We're talking about doing all of that and then pointing people because of what we have to Calvary. The reason that we do things here at North Point Baptist Church is not so that we can get our name in a paper and not so we can get some accolades. We do the things that we do so that people come to Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart, church has lost its passion because we've taken our focus off what our passion really is and we've put it on our own passion and our own building and our own uh, uh, priorities in our life. Listen, we need to get back to what the real priority is, which is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that need it. Now I'm going to say something and I'm going to be very forthright. Jesus' priorities do not change because things around us change. In other words, as Christians, we have become cowards because of the things that are happening around us. In fear of what people may say, in fear of what people may do. But I'm going to tell you something. No matter how much our world changes, no matter how much things change in our world and in our in things around us, please listen to me. The priority of Jesus has not changed. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen to me, church. And I told you I'm going to be real honest and forthright, so here it comes. Sin is sin. Period in the story. No matter what gets approved by man, does not mean it's approved by God. Sin is sin. And the Bible tells us that we are to abstain from all appearances of evil. 
it's time to draw the line. It's time to put the line in the sand and say, you know what? Certainly we love the sinner, but certainly we cannot embrace the sin. Because, see, this is what happens. If we begin to say, no, 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 that's wrong, Pastor. Well, we have to embrace the sin so that we can win the sinner. No, what I would tell you this is that when we embrace the sin, we break down the walls of purity within the church, and the church becomes sin. What we do is we embrace the sinner and tell them that Jesus Christ died for them and that Jesus Christ loves them and He loves them just the way they are and let Jesus Christ change them. But do not allow it to be embraced and to be accepted into our families and into our churches because the moment that it does is the moment that that God literally is no longer the priority in this place. Pastor, that's not very politically correct. I'm going to tell you something. When I stand before God, I don't have to give an account for what I did politically. I have to give an account for what I did biblically. And as long as I stand in this pulpit and preach and teach, nothing, nothing can waver from this. I stand firm on the Word of God. And I will continue to stand firm. And I would tell you, as a Christian, to not take my stand. Don't, 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 don't say I stand for this or I stand for that because of my preacher. Because I'm telling you, your preacher is just as much flesh and blood as you are. But I stand where I stand because I stand with God. I stand with God. And this is what I would say, and I'm going to close. If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's stand strong.